0: Celebrity Let your weary mind
1: be free And someone kind of famous who you can't see It's time for Sleeping with Celebrity Hello sleepyheads And welcome to Sleeping with Celebrities I'm John Moe I'm glad you're here On this audio program, we invite guests to step out of the limelight and step into the nightlight. On this show, for one bedtime, we don't ask them to bring their A game, but rather their Z game. It is a podcast where you can sleep, you can simply relax, you can take a break from stress and intensity. Just ahead, we'll be sleeping with writer and comedian Sarah Schaefer. Before that, I invite you to settle in and get comfortable while I tell you about another show on the Maximum Fun Network. Presently, sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a celebration of the best of arts and culture in public radio form. For over 20 years, host Jesse Thorne has interviewed artists and creators about their work and their life stories. Past guests have included Tom Hanks, Tina Fey, rapper E-40, Weird Al Yankovic, Lin-Manuel Miranda, David Letterman, Sarah Jessica Parker, and more. Bullseye has been featured in Time Magazine, The New York Times, GQ, or Gentleman's Quarterly, and McSweeney's, which called it the kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. That's Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, available on Maximum Fun, or wherever you choose to collect your podcasts. And now, to introduce my guest, Sarah Schaefer. Sarah Schaefer is an Emmy Award-winning writer, comedian, and author. You may recognize her from the MTV, or music television, series, *Nikki and Sarah Live. She is the aforementioned Sarah from the title of the show. Nikki Glazer is the Nikki in the show's title, which again is Nikki and Sarah live. I invite you to check out Sarah Schaefer's IMDb page if you are curious about her entire comedic oeuvre. Sarah doesn't limit her creativity to the page or screen, though. She shares another of her passions in online videos, which we'll be talking more about tonight. Sarah Schaefer, thank you for sleeping with us.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
1: I like to start off bedtime conversations with a question or two about sleep. Are you someone who falls asleep easily by yourself?
0: I am when all of the rules have been followed.
1: Mm, Uh, I have a lot
0: of routine that um, is ideal um, that I have figured out over the years because I take sleeping very seriously. And uh, <clears throat> first off, it needs to be very cold. Mm. Um, we're talking sixty-three degrees is my is my uh, my special place. Now the that's zone. hard to achieve in many situations. In the winter in LA, it's ideal, mm. um, but in uh, warmer climates or in LA when it's warm, um, it does require money to <laughs> to generate that temperature. Um be that cold. Yes, so temperature is one of my number one things and then I need uh I have a noise machine which plays white noise because I am white. No, I um I, I need white noise. Uh, um And I I like the machine the best. It's the little, like, white dome thing, or it's Mm. cream-colored. You can get them in different colors, but I do enjoy the uh, dome the best. Apps on the phone do not uh, provide the same uh, amplification that these machines do.
1: Can you simulate for our mm -hmm. listeners the sound that you prefer to hear for sleep? Yes.
0: It's like a... Um what with more of a symphonic um level. And then um are on the apps that the noise apps, sleeping apps, there is a brown noise that I also do enjoy.
1: <laughs> what does the brown noise sound like?
0: Brown noise is a little bit of a lower pitch. <sighs> and there's pink noise. Yeah. Well that's that's a little, you're you're adding in a little bit of um, man into oh, that. And I okay. definitely don't want m- a man sound. No, um, you don't want a
1: moaning man as you try to sleep.
0: No, it's like, and it's different levels. There's mm. pink noise, there's white noise, brown noise are the three ones that I'm familiar with.
1: What does pink noise sound like? I think it's a higher pitch. It's like, <laughs> yeah.
0: um, mm mm-hmm. mhm okay and i also like complete darkness i need okay. total and complete darkness as much as possible any sort of little light shining becomes very irritating to me and i will have to extinguish it in any way possible if i'm in a hotel room i i clip the curtains and i i cover up the uh, the alarm clock and the microwave and all the little lights that might be shining
1: in the room. And you live in Los Angeles, which seems like a very illuminated place to be. It is. It's always,
0: there's always light in the sky. And for some reason I have neighbors who enjoy employing uh, floodlights, Floodlights floodlights on their entire backyard. Yes, the entire night. It's fenced in. I don't know what they're trying to illuminate, or if they're lazy or what, but um, Mm. I don't know how they can tolerate it because it's right up against their house. So I have a circular window, which for a while of living here, I I didn't um, know how to cover that window properly. And then I had an idea. Being the crafter that I am, I thought, you know, there's these things called embroidery hoops, And I thought, is there a really large one um, Mm. that I could put blackout fabric in? And sure enough, there was one exactly the size of my circular window, and I put some blackout fabric in it, and I hung it on a little hook, and it covers the window perfectly now.
1: Are you concerned that you might appear to be living in a haunted house?
0: <laughs> uh no, I don't think uh this house is haunted. I've never experienced anything like that. Although very sadly, the person that lived here before did die um oh. before I moved in, but they were they did not die in the home. They had a heart wow. attack and then later died in the hospital. But um that is the story of the person that lived here before us, which is sad. Um, and so we try to honor him um, with our sleeping habit. No, with, with um, just by taking good care of the place.
1: <laughs> What's the best night's sleep you've ever had?
0: Oh, wow. Um, probably one of the best nights, I would say, I'm trying to remember when it was. It was, I believe, after a lot of travel. I was, uh, traveling a lot and, uh, had gone, you know, maybe was one of those where you had to get up very early and you only got like four hours of sleep. And, but it was after, it was a holiday type thing going to visit a bunch of family and you come home. It was, I think maybe last year came home to my, uh, came home to my, my bed and my conditions and, uh, slept probably, you know, 14 hours. some crazy for me to sleep that long is unheard of. Um, but I remember waking up feeling incredible, like just that I could do anything. And, uh, for me, I don't uh, I also have to like not eat for a certain amount of hours before going to bed because, uh, I get heartburn, and I now have um, elderly eating hours. You know, four p.m. dinner is my dream, mm. four or five p.m. And um, <clears throat> so all of those factors play into it. And I am someone who, very fortunately, once I get to sleep, if it's the right conditions and I've followed all my rules, I will sleep seven and a half hours almost exactly to the dot, and then I will wake up naturally.
1: Does it make it hard to meet up with friends for dinner if you insist that dinner happens <laughs> at 4 o'clock at Perkins? <laughs> yes. Yes, it
0: does. Um, I make exceptions, of course, um, but I feel it that night, and I don't have as good night of sleep. Um, even if I – and I've tried every medication. I have one – Medication that works pretty well, but uh, the best is is to prevent heartburn. The best way to treat heartburn is to prevent heartburn.
1: Yes, that is good advice. Yeah, we're talking about miniatures and mm-hmm. crafting. Is there anything yes. in particular about this topic that lends itself well to sleeping?
0: I find um, <clears throat> so when I when I say miniatures. I mean, dollhouse-sized miniatures. That would be something like this. I'm holding up a very tiny mug.
1: Oh, that um, is very small.
0: Yes, it's what I w- it's what's called one-twelfth scale. Okay. And that means that the easy way to remember it is one foot in normal size is one inch in miniature. That's the conversion. It's twelve times smaller. And then, then, um, real life,
1: if I was a miniature, I would be one inch tall,
0: yes. precisely, All right? Because you're six feet tall, yes, or so. Wait, you're 12 feet. Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I think no. I'm six
1: feet tall. I'm certain certainly half not an inch
0: tall.
1: I'd be <laughs> half an inch,
0: you'd be half an inch tall, yeah. Okay. Barbies are one sixth, and I... they are called half scale, yeah. So, um It's the way I remember it. Is a six-inch doll is is the scale of a uh, uh, of dollhouse because that would be like a six-foot person if it's a guy doll. (laughs) Um, And I, um, so the reason to answer your question, the reason why I feel like miniatures in this world are very um, go hand in hand with a sleepy kind of topic is because I find the world of miniatures to be very soothing
1: mm.
0: and, um, and also incredibly detailed. And when you start getting into details, that can really, really slow things down in conversation and in your mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, just even that, we were just discussing fractions. And when you start discussing fractions with people, you know, the little drawbridge to their brain might start to close, and they might be like, "I don't want to hear about that."
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it might be hard. Yeah. Now you you make your own miniatures, yes? I
0: do. I I started out collecting um, because I had a doll. I was fortunate to have a dollhouse when I was a little girl. And so I would save up my allowance money and and to go and buy little pieces of dollhouse furniture for my dollhouse. But then as I got older, and then um, really it was the pandemic is when I started making miniatures and in a serious way. And this started with, I renovated my childhood dollhouse mm. and that was a pandemic project. And then I came up with the idea to make, a scale model of a comedy club, including The Green Room. And that is, I have it right over here, I'll show it to you. There it is right there.
1: That is a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Oh, yeah, that's, that's to the side, yes. to the Let's side. Move that to the side.
0: So <laughs> there, I, I, haven't, I don't have it lit up right now, but it has lights and everything. Um, But it is a scale model of a comedy club. And, um, you know, it was a painstakingly detailed, it took me about a month of working on it almost all day, Mm. (laughs) every day. And you, when you work in miniatures, you know, if you're making something from scratch, you are pretty much flying blind, especially if it's something that isn't common in the miniature world. You're not going to find a tutorial necessarily online how to make those things. A tiny comedy so Im- club. Mm-hmm. So it involves understanding some basic concepts first, which I learned a lot about when I renovated my dollhouse. Mm. Well, um, what are those concepts? So just what we were talking about earlier the concepts of the scale that you're working in and how to convert to the smaller scale which it's funny how you know this is now we're now 23, 23 years out from me being in college mm-hmm. and um I majored in theater in college and one of the classes I took was uh it was like set design um and we had to learn how to make things in scale and do drafting and make a little scale model and I really enjoyed doing that but it was very hard uh to learn. Um but what I found was that that those skills were still in my brain. And I, was, I understood the concepts that you need to be able to make something in scale. And so I was able to re- resurrect those. And then, so th- it's the scale stuff first. And then it's the materials. You know, it's um, what kind of wood, uh, uh, different miniaturists work in different, materials um some people i mix everything up i use what is necessary in the moment to make it look as real as possible and for to make it as easy as possible for me to create given my um i'm not a sculptor i'm not a visual artist uh, but i like making things with my hands Mm. so some people work with thin like base wood or balsa wood um some people work with, and I'm a lot of people mix it up like I do. Uh, there are other material you would use is foam core, mm. uh, polystyrene is a very thin plastic that you can cut and it can look like a shiny surface, like the surface of a you know, um, a countertop or plastic like that. That's hard to sometimes recreate in wood. Yes. Um, so those are. Those are sort of your base materials. You can build almost anything with those materials. If and, and go ahead.
1: Well, no, go ahead and and let finish up your thought. <laughs>
0: well, um, uh, as you're, in terms of structures, furniture, um, pr- pretty much anything you can build with those materials, and then you you know you can bring in fabric. And foam and other things to metal and all, you know, whatever little bits. I have a whole drawer of just, I call it like my bits drawer, and it's just bits of stuff mm. um, that I collect. Because once you start making miniatures, you now look at the world in a different way. And you see something, a material, a packing material from something you bought, or you're in the craft store and you see something and you go, oh, you yeah, know, that kind of looks like it would work as something in miniature and I'll save it. And sure enough, I'll I'll be making something. Like for instance, I recently made a little miniature podcast studio and I needed to make the microphones with like the arm and everything. And a lot of it is, I call it free building. And it's when you're just experimenting with the materials you have to try and get it to look like because that's one of the main things that I'm very passionate about in miniatures is you want it to look as real as possible given your limited capabilities as a, as a miniaturist. Um, and so I was trying to figure out how to make the foam part of the microphone. Yeah. And I have a lot of little bits of foam and stuff, but to make that look like a microphone and shape it, I was having a lot of trouble. But suddenly... I had inspiration. It came to me and it was if you've ever put on eyeshadow from like an eyeshadow kit from the drugstore, sure. there's a little tiny eyeshadow applicator and it has a little tiny piece of foam on the end of it mm. in the shape where it's like a, you know, it's a cover for a little piece of plastic and I thought, "Oh my god, that's it." And I have some I was able to pull off the foam and fit it around a small dowel rod of wood. And it took the shape of a microphone on the perfect scale. And it was like this moment of like Eureka. Because when you have those moments where you go, that's what it looks like in miniature. And I found a piece from my house that was already there. I repurposed something full-sized to make it look miniature. Um that's the so way. those are that's another concept that you have to grasp in miniatures is like looking at things in the small scale and thinking what could translate.
1: I wonder if you can hold up some of the miniatures that are mm-hmm. among your favorites, and we are an audio program, but perhaps you can describe them. <laughs> yes. for someone who can't see. Them.
0: Um, some of it is put away, but I have a few pieces out. Um. So, this is a easel, mm. a presentation easel that I made with. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, it's a tripod easel. Tripod
0: easel, and with a little like presentation
1: poster
0: on it that is removable. Mm-hmm. And I made this just with little pieces of wood and uh, plastic, and um, it took a lot of experimentation. And also I will look up, um, you know, the full-sized, I'll Google presentation easel and I'll look at the specs and I'll look at it and get measurements and I'll I'll go, oh, it's going to need a little, a little black, you know, thing here to show the foot of the tripod. It's going to have to look like it has joints, you know, because on a tripod you can twist it and it's those little joints that you, you twist and you pull out right. the leg and, you know. Um, what,
1: what wood are you using for this easel?
0: This easel has uh, very thin wooden sticks. They're sometimes called craft sticks or dowel rod um, but it's very, I would say, and also I've gotten really good at like knowing what a measurement is just with my eye. So this is probably, I want to say three sixteenths. Um, okay.
1: Do you know what uh, tree why? it comes from?
0: <laughs> um, a lot of the sometimes when I get a pack of stuff like that, like I got these little little wood. They're almost like the the thickness of a toothpick, but they're not. um pointy on the end. And it's just a pack of those those craft sticks that you can get. Um, my guess is, is that uh, for those, um, a lot of the craft wood that you're using is, is I think it's called base wood, but some, some people say bass wood. I don't know um, which it, how the pronunciation. And then balsa wood is very soft wood that is very easy to cut through. Right. Um, and then you can also use very thin um, plywood, um, but for this wood, I don't know exactly what I would have to look at the package. But um, and then for the for this tripod, you know, on a tripod, there's the little arms that hold it um, hold it out in the triangle form, mm-hmm. and that is made out of um, very thin cardboard that I have, I, I save, you know, like when you buy any kind of Apple product, it comes with all this very smooth white, um, cardboard that you can play with. And, um, yeah. and then, um, the little, the little black pieces that are my joints on the, are a little piece of black. Uh, it's actually a little piece of white. Um, you can get this, there's this plastic that a lot of people are using called polystyrene, and you get sheets of it, or you can get little um, straws, almost like little tubes of it. And you can cut it. You can you can put a little heat on it and give it a curve. You can. It's very flexible and easy to cut with a uh, X-Acto knife. And I used little bits of that and
1: painted it black. Um, are you familiar with the punk rock band the X Ray Specs from England in the 1970s? <laughs> I am not. <laughs> well, they have a lead singer. They had a lead singer. She has passed away. Named Polly Styrene. As if uh, that was yes. her name. First name Polly, last name Styrene. <laughs> Do, does the punk rock movement of the late 1970s in England factor into any of your miniatures? It does not
0: at this point. But you you know, never say never. Yeah, I um, I let my miniature projects come to me because I, I now make I I've actually done a lot of a lot of the things I'm describing right now are being done um, in conjunction with a solo show that I've been doing, mm. and it's called Going Up. It's a it's like a fake seminar on how to make it in the comedy business, and. Uh-huh. I do a very elaborate PowerPoint presentation, which I've been calling like a, a handmade PowerPoint, although it is a, it is an actual PowerPoint, but every visual, every picture is a miniature picture. Oh. And so, it, you know, so that's why I made the miniature podcast duty. I've used a lot of pictures of my miniature comedy club. Comedy. And I set little scenes, and those are the, the visuals that you're seeing while I run through the um, presentation. And so I've made a lot of, you know, I made an agent's office. I made anything I'm talking about. At one point I say, you should go get, you know, you need to move to a city. I I built a little New York City apartment mm. and took a picture of that. And so I've done a lot. I've learned a lot and I've made a lot of stuff for this project. I've been working on it for a year.
1: And um. so, yeah, I've had to get creative. Do you find that? having the elements of professional comedy done in miniature, created by yourself, gives you more of a sense of empowerment and ownership over a chaotic industry that can often leave one feeling powerless? You just
0: pretty much described the subtext of the entire show. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, it started out with, um, before I had Conceptualized the show itself. I was just starting to get back out performing once things had um, opened up and most people were vaccinated and and stuff. I was starting to do select shows here and there, and I was doing material about uh, my miniatures and my obsession with it, and just a little jokes here and there. And and at one point I said, just off the top of my head on stage, I go, I I made a miniature comedy club and. I thought, wouldn't it be so cute to make a scale model of my trauma, you know, and it sort of um, took off from there. But um, yes, I feel that when I made the Miniature Comedy Club, I was surprised at how emotional the experience was. And when I posted pictures of it, I got a lot of feedback from other comedians saying that it, it triggered them in emotional ways, positive, negative. Um, and it was like an experience in which I get, cause I think miniatures are all about, literally about gaining perspective. And I have some jokes in the show about miniatures um, within the show itself. And I one of the jokes I make is I sing a little song about um, why I like miniatures and it's because I'm in charge now Uh Um, and you know, that's, it is, it's a feeling of control and fantasy, you know, it's, um, you know, especially with dollhouses, I find that I'm very, um, tapped into the miniature community online. And one of the, one of the main elements of dollhouse making is fantasizing about the kind of house you would want. Mm -hmm. And that Taps into a childhood sort of aspirational thing where you're playing pretend and imagining this, you know, magical life. And now it's about like envisioning a design that you w- would want to see in real life, but maybe you can't achieve because you don't own a three story house.
1: Right. <laughs> Victorian fixer upper. <laughs> when you made the miniature comedy club, did you have to make? Very, very small bricks on a wall for the comedian to stand in front of. Sleepyheads, I wish to tell you about another podcast here on the Maximum Fun Network, where we have the maximum amount of fun that is permissible by law. This podcast is called The Flop House, and it is about bad movies but also, really, about three friends making each other laugh and deliberately getting on each other's nerves. For over 13 years, it's been hosted by former Daily Show writer Dan McCoy, former Daily Show and Mystery Science Theater 3000 writer Elliot Kalin, and Brooklyn bar owner Stuart Wellington, who The Onion AV Club has described as equally funny. An average flop house episode may include any or all of the following: off-key ad-libbed songs, Tom Brokaw describing the plot of the novel Dune, Werner Herzog announcing he's a bad little boy who loves chocolates, recommendations of good movies, and a certain amount of talking about butts that may make you a little uncomfortable but not so much that it makes you very uncomfortable. That is The flop house available on Maximum Fun, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you made the miniature comedy club, did you have to make very, very small bricks on a wall for the comedian to stand in front of? I was, um, fortunately,
0: there is... Pretty much anything you want, they make a miniature of. You can do hand laid brick in miniature. They sell miniature bricks, and you can do that. But I bought a sort of uh, texturized sheet. I have some right here. Oh, okay. Um, of brick, oh. and it has just a little bit of three D, three D texture to it. So yeah, a little
1: bit of relief in miniature. To
0: it. That light hits it perfectly. So I put that as the back wall. Um, of the stage and I made, um, I made 50 handmade headshots for the walls. Oh. Um, tiny, tiny headshots, 50 of them with like a little piece of plastic to make it look like glass. And I, I went in Photoshop and I scaled down headshots of all the comedians that I was going to feature on the wall. And I even Photoshopped, um, the, their signature like they had put their autograph on it
1: so these and, were actual uh, comedians that yeah that you are basing these on
0: yeah for for once i was the gatekeeper mm. and um i decided to make my comedy club wall of headshots to be all women except two men and i wanted that f- feeling well i'll explain so when you oftentimes when you go to, especially the more traditional comedy clubs, you will see a big wall of either headshots or posters of all the comedians that have worked there. Um, and a very common experience for women is to go in and be searching for the women. And it's usually only a a handful. Now there are way more, but you know, for when I was starting out, it was, it wasn't many. And, um, so you, you'd scan the wall and you see mostly men and you you look for the women. And then you see those women and you can't help but compare yourself to the just the women and go, well, I'm not like her or I'm not like them. Do I belong here? Um, and so for my comedy club, I chose to put all women and then two men. And the men I chose were Carrot Top and... Jeff Dunham.
1: <laughs> Why those
0: two? So I have nothing but respect for both of them. Um, I have critique for Jeff Dunham because I think some of his characters that he does are um, play on some racist stereotypes. Um, but Carrot Top and Jeff Dunham are two comedians who other comedians have very strong opinions about um they're extremely successful carrot top and jeff dunham are very wealthy um and very successful they are in the top one percent of comedians to have ever lived probably especially in terms of their their actual uh financial success but there are a lot of comedians who do not think that they're funny Mm. and that is uh, one of, I, th- I always say, it's one of the life lessons that every comedian learns. Usually it's about five years or sooner in, as a young comic, you're going to discover the horror that comedy is subjective and that mm. someone who's extremely successful and rich, you don't think is funny. And you, you are confronted with that. Now... Most regular people who are not comedians don't understand the intricacies of this and they have a very black and white view of comedy, which is this is funny or this is not funny. This is comedy or this is not comedy because they believe that what they think is funny is what should be funny for everyone else. They think that it's one of the few art forms that I think people really, it's very, very personal as to what is funny to you. Um, But they, but it's different in that. And then the same thing with music, you know, everyone's like, you have your taste, Mm. but comedy is different in that you, a lot of people believe that there is only one definition of what comedy is and what is funny. And they believe what they believe is funny is what should be funny to everyone else. And it's um, not talked about it's talked about differently than say music. So, you know, comedy is everyone's always having a conversation about what is comedy and, you know, what should comedy be doing? What should a comedian be doing? And it's very, there's not really that conversation with music, although they, there are debates like that, you know, people going rap music, that's not music, you know. But I think everyone has a much better understanding of literacy in music, which is you would never just buy tickets to a music concert.
1: To see the music show.
0: You would find out the genre, at least the minimum. But with comedy, people will buy tickets to go see comedy. And then they'll be furious when they find out that the comedian is not their genre. <laughs> so it's it's a very unique um, there are other, I'm sure, art forms that are like that. But with comedy, it's 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 a really annoying aspect of it for any comedian. It doesn't matter who you are, because you're going to deal with people who are just straight up telling you, you are not a comedian, because you didn't make me specifically laugh. <laughs> so that's where that came from, that whole
1: concept came from. Does this, Does that subjectivity exist in the miniature community as well? <laughs> are some miniatures... Just not good to some people because of taste.
0: Yes, I, there is a huge taste um, spectrum in the world of miniatures, and mm. the I think the the more it's the more detailed you are in your love of miniatures, the more specific your tastes are. And so I'll get a lot of people because a lot of people know that I'm really into miniatures, and they'll send me stuff that they see online. And uh, they'll think I'll love it, you know. And first off, I'm like, if you think the algorithm hasn't already provided this to me, you are a fool. (laughs) Um, I've already seen it. But I also appreciate people thinking of me. So I'm like, okay, thank you for sending that, even though I've already seen it a hundred times. But people will send me things that I'm like, this isn't the scale that I prefer. Oh, And you are wrong, for thinking that I would like this, you know, or... Because um,
1: you're a 112th person.
0: Yeah. And they'll send me different scale things and I get irritated because I'm like, that's not small enough. <laughs> or it's, it's, um, sometimes it's too small or, um, Is or it's there just a scale not realistic th- enough,
1: you know. Is there a scale that just bothers you that you just can't stand? <laughs> um... Well, some people,
0: there's not a specific scale. It's mixing scales bothers me. So people will, um, because the point for me is to create a realistic looking scene or image that you could actually fool people into believing is real. And so if you put something in there that's the wrong scale, you're going to give it away. So there's this a popular um, uh, brand or these toys you can get in Target now, and they're called mini brands. And it comes yes. in a sphere, a plastic sphere, like an egg. And you open it up and it has little, and they're adorable. It has little toy in their packages. It has little food products. It has cleaning products and they're miniature, but the scales are all over the place. And, you know, a lot of people go, "Oh, are you into mini brands? Do you love mini brands? And I'm like, you know, I bought a few and they are cute. But a lot of it doesn't work in my stuff because it's the wrong scale. It's too big. You know, you think you, it, it would be, be like having a five foot, you know, a five foot bottle of Coke in my dollhouse, in my house. You know, that would be wrong.
1: Do you think these should be banned because they send children the
0: wrong message? <laughs> yes, it's damaging and it's grooming our children into the wrong scale. And we need to have normal scale.
1: No. Um, Consistent scale. Yeah. When someone comes to your shop, what is the one piece that you most want to show them, that that you want to make sure that they don't Mm. leave without seeing? I
0: always try to set up my uh, miniature club, because it's very impressive, especially when I've got the lights on. Um, And I made a little neon sign that says, Ha Ha Hole, that's the name of the club. And um, I made a little mini fridge that the light broke, but it used to glow blue inside, like a mini fridge does. Okay. And um, and so I I love showing people that because it's got everything. It's got furniture that I made. It's got things that I bought. It's got things my friends made in it. Um, but I also have a shelf, a miniature shelf, which I have a my you know I showcase a lot of my miniatures from when I was growing up. So There's a lot of really old stuff on there, and um, and the shelf of uh, a trend which my mom was doing back in the 80s. But it's one of the one of the favorite ways to display your miniature collection if you don't have like a dollhouse set up or something like that is to take an old drawer from a typeset drawer from a printing press and put that on the wall, and it becomes a shelf. Mm. Um, so you turn it up and and put it on the wall and all those little different drawers for the type for the different type sets become yes. little tiny uh compartments on the shelf and you can put all your miniatures on there. So I have two of three of them actually <laughs> around in my house.
1: If you wanted to renovate your actual house, would you create a miniature version to give to a <laughs> contractor and then say, "Do this."
0: <laughs> that actually um sounds really labor intensive, mm. but it would be uh it would be fun. But they that's one thing though I have learned from making dollhouse stuff and doing miniatures is um some of the concepts that to make something in miniature are the same as they are in full sized. And so I've I, you know, for instance, cutting baseboards with mm-hmm. that miter with that bias cut so that, you know, it forms the corner on the corner, or the any and in the outie corners. Um, I don't know the terms, but I've learned how to do those because I did baseboards. Oh. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's some concepts that and painting and, you know, all kinds of things that, like, you know, one day if I ever had my own house that I owned, I would at least have an introduction to uh, some of the things you have to do. <laughs>
1: Are you a controversial figure within the miniature community?
0: <laughs> um, no, but I did go to my first miniature convention mm. a few weeks ago. And I was in Vegas, and I talked to the founder. And, you know, you go, there's a lot of old people um, at, at, at the miniature conventions. It's uh, definitely... A lot of grandmas and, and and grandpas involved in the world yeah. of dollhouses. Sure. Um and I was talking to the founder of this convention and she was really trying to, you know, ensure the longevity of the miniature community and she so she involves a lot of younger miniaturists who are doing the more modern, you know, um, modern right. dollhouses, um, modern looking furniture and stuff like that. And moving the um, art
1: forward. Young yeah, rebels like and yourself. You c-
0: right. But she's also being more inclusive. And this is why it's so ridiculous. She's including people who are working in larger scales. So Barbie, uh mm. action figures, a lot of them are um the 12-inch figures are larger. And so people are making models, um, dioramas and stuff that are much, much bigger than you would in the dollhouse scale. And apparently the Dollhouse community, the older, the old guard is very irritated by this and they walk around and they go, This isn't to scale. But they're talking about their scale.
1: (laughs) Wow, the subjectivity (laughs) of scale.
0: um, Yeah. And so um, there's some disagreements on, you know, what is the miniature community in terms of which scale is allowed in there. But in my mind, it's all the same skill set. Although small, the smaller it is, the harder it is. I will say that. Um, mm. And I think there, that might be where some of the snobbery comes from is, do you know how hard it is to make you know, a tiny Thanksgiving meal on a table in the smaller scale? It's much harder to make it. The smaller it is, the much harder it is to make it look real. I and see. Uh, so there's um, some stuff there. But I would say overall, it's an extremely positive, supportive community, and um, there's, it's a really big world right now. Like the, the miniature world
1: is very big. <laughs> That's a confounding sentence. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I wanted to get started making miniatures myself, say I wanted to make a, a tiny bedroom mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. with a tiny bed where I can get tiny amounts of restful sleep, what okay. are some tools that I would need, some <laughs> materials I would need to get started?
0: So if you really are starting out and you want to just have an introduction to the world, I recommend buying a kit, a room okay. kit. They sell kits. They sell like a little bookstore and they they send you all the stuff you're going to need for it and you just put it together and it's very satisfying. And they sell them in, um, now they're selling those kinds of things in one, one, in one twenty-fourth scale, so that's cool. even smaller than, um, and it's um, kind of taking off because I think one twenty-fourth is more compact, and so if you want to have something like that in your house, it doesn't take up a, you know as much room. Um, but uh, so there's kits you can buy, mm-hmm. and those are a great entry point if you just want to do a room kit. Um, it's very exciting and cute to do. And you and you get to paint it, you know, the colors you want and all that stuff. So there's a lot of custom customization. And then, um, you can graduate to more. I have a dollhouse, which I have barely even started, but they just send you the wood frame, like the, the, basically the frame you have to put in the windows, the stairs, you know, the everything else, they just send you the basics. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're going to do something from scratch, You know, you're going to need to find um, the kind of wood you like to work with. All this stuff they sell at uh, Blick or Joanne's. If you are a Christian, you could go to Hobby Lobby. (laughs) Michael's, perhaps? (laughs) Michael's has some stuff, but it doesn't have as much as uh, I would say Joanne's or Blick. Um, But any crafting store will have a lot of the basics that you would need. I recommend – I use uh, the glue that you want to use. I recommend just straight-up original aliens Tacky Glue. It's all-purpose. It works really well on different surfaces. But then when you start getting into more more advanced stuff, there's different glues that work really well that – range from super glue down to Elmer's. And there's, I have a drawer of, I call it my adhesive drawer. <laughs> I have everything you can imagine for different um, different purposes and applications. Um, I just bought a special kind of glue that's, um, it's I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, it's it's got a really thin tip. Mm-hmm. It's like almost like a needle tip. So you can get really tiny, fine lines of glue, which are very helpful in miniatures um, and then the miter, uh, shears, one of the most handy tools I have, I use it almost every time I make miniatures is the miter shears, the but shears. a little, yeah. And it's easy to, it, it's also just very quick and easy to cut wood with it, just straight, just cut like a little dowel rod or c- cut thin pieces of wood with it. And then a really good exacto knife. And lots of blades. Um, You want to use sharp blades for when you're making certain kinds of cuts. But there's YouTube videos on how to make so many different things. Um, A little bit of sandpaper, always a good idea to have. Do I need a
1: magnifying glass or big funny? I do have.
0: um, I do have a little one of those. You see people who paint little miniatures. It'll be a thing that clips the thing, and then a magnifying glass, and you can. It sort of holds it there for those very detailed. Things I have one of those. I barely, I rarely use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you, if if it is one of those um, hobbies or art forms that um, requires fine motor skills, um, and so yes, there is an accessibility thing. But it doesn't mean again those kits and things like that. If you have um, shaky hands or it's harder for you to do those fine motor skill type things. There are lots of tools to make it more accessible. I use tweezers a lot, you know, mm. to place things because it's my hand will get too shaky when I'm just trying to place something perfectly or whatever. And, um, and you can always just buy a dollhouse that's already made and buy miniatures and just put them on a shelf or put them in decorate. And just you put don't necessarily have it's 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 a range of. Um, there's ways to get into it that don't involve. If you don't, if you just want to be more of a an enthusiast, you you don't have to know how to make all that stuff.
1: Was there a surge of interest in miniatures when the movie Hereditary came out?
0: <laughs> well, um, that I also I love horror movies. It's like my favorite genre, and so when I went to see Hereditary, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know anything about it other than I liked the guy that made it. I liked his film before. And so when we went to see it, we saw it in the movie theater. And I'm the type where I I know I'm going to like a movie. I don't read anything about it. I want to go in blind. And that very first opening credits is miniatures. And I, (laughs) my husband turned to me and he said my face was like, like my eyes were just wide. And I was like, yes, there's miniatures in this scary movie. And it's like, Oh, it, it, it's it's one of my favorite movies, so yes. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Sarah Schaefer, I want to thank you so much for telling us all about miniatures and tiny comedy clubs. Thank you for <laughs> sleeping with us. And Sarah, good night.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Good night.
1: Well, sleepyheads, I hope you enjoyed hearing about miniatures as much as I did. Something I like to do at the end of my day is make a mental catalog of things I experienced and or learned. So if you don't mind, I'm going to make a list of takeaways from my conversation with Sarah Schaefer right now while it's fresh in my mind. 1. It is expensive to keep your home at 63 degrees in Los Angeles in the summer. 2. Crafters will always find an elegant solution to blocking out light from a circular window. Embroidery hoops. 3. Many comedians resent the success of Carrot Top and Jeff Dunham. 4. Discussing fractions with people might cause the drawbridge to their brains to pull up and close. Nobody wants to hear about fractions. 5 you can find pretty much anything you want in miniature. Uh, Okay, I'm going to turn in for the night. Thank you for sleeping with me and Sarah Schaefer. Follow Sleeping With Celebrities on both Twitter and TikTok with the handle at sleepwithcelebs. On Instagram, the handle is at sleepwcelebs. Our email is sleepwithcelebs at maximumfun.org. Music for this program provided by the Winter Bowers. Social media assistance provided by Charlie Moe. This show was senior produced and edited by Laura Swisher. Swish. This program is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Night, night.